Hello and welcome to Kindness Magazine, where we learn how to bring more kindness into our lives and the world around us. Today we have an amazing guest for you. Her name is Holly Scotus. She is a yoga instructor and also has an amazing podcast called Yoga is Vegan. And it's very popular for good reason. And uh, if you're into yoga and you're into veganism like I am, you'll be a fan just like I am. A real quick shout out for our first video, which featured Will Tucker. And that was a really amazing video for us to start out with. It was our first video for Kindness Magazine. And I'm really proud of it because we tackled a really tough subject, which is racism in America. And I think we did it in a very intelligent and gentle manner. So I hope that you will watch that and uh, watch it with a friend and share it with others because I think that what Will has to say there about his experience as a black man in America is spoken, like I said, in such an intelligent and gentle manner that I'm sure anyone who watches it could understand and sympathize with what he has gone through and want to join the fight to change things in this country, um, the world, and make the world a place where everyone can feel accepted. And again, that starts with us uh, making a choice to live our lives with kindness, which is what we're all about. So without further ado, here is my interview with the lovely Holly Scotus. Enjoy. Welcome, Holly, and thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Brenda. So we want to start off by talking about the theme of your podcast, Yoga is Vegan. How did you come up with this wonderful phrase and what does it mean to you and why did you think it was so important to name your podcast this? That's a long, that's a long answer. <laughs> I'll do my best. Okay, so I love the story of how this name came to be. It was... Um, in like 2017. So it was a year after I had done my second teacher training with Dharma Nitra. And so I was on this path of like a daily sadhana practice. So every day, you know, specific diets, specific meditations, um, you know, the, the asana, the yoga practices, the physical postures, but I was still kind of getting into it because once I get into a routine, I really, that works, I stick with it. And so this idea of doing a daily meditation is, is something I still have. Um, it also happened to come about right after I did uh, training with Victoria Moran from Main Street Vegan. And so at that point, I was kind of learning about being a vegan and taking it kind of to a business level. And I knew I needed to merge the two of yoga and veganism. And I was meditating. And I was sitting on, I was actually sitting on my bed meditating. Although they say you shouldn't meditate in your bedroom, there's no chance of me falling asleep. So I'm not a, a napper kind of person. So I'm sitting and meditating, but I've got my laptop nearby. And um, all of a sudden, this yoga is vegan pops into my mind, which is yogaisvegan.com. I don't know where it came from, but I thought, okay, I'm going to go and see if the URL is available. Mm -hmm. And so I bought it. I was like, okay, that's good because it's very specific. It's easy to remember. It's easy to spell. And there's a .com, which was crazy. And so I looked and, you know, grabbed that URL and then 
um, you know, grabbed all the other handles for social and whatnot, and then kind of figured out what on earth I was going to do with it. Like, how do I merge those two? And I thought really the best way, it's like, my story's great. And I think a certain amount of people will connect to that story. But if I could then build a network of other yogis to not only start to have their own um, community, but to also become inspiration for other people by sharing their stories, I thought that's kind of where the essence of it is going to be. Wow. What a beautiful mission. Yeah. So it was more name first and then figure out kind of what it is. And I think it's still evolving. I think it's always going to be evolving. That's wonderful. That's the way it should be. Uh, nothing uh, benefits from being stagnant. We all need to keep moving and growing and evolving. And I think that that's a, a wonderful that you're uh, on that path. And um, so just want to get into a little bit more about your background and how all of this wonderful stuff came to be. Talked um, in the magazine about your story of becoming vegan and that that you had been a yogi for several years. First of all, tell us, how did you discover yoga in the first place and how did it become um, a big part of your life and make you want to go further with it? Well, the first time I practiced was a DVD with my, well, now 16-year-old daughter, but when I was pregnant with her, with this teacher, Rainbow Mars, I'll never forget. And I was just at home doing this DVD and it was fine. You know, it was one of those, oh, you're pregnant, you should do yoga, I'm going to try and do it. It didn't really stick at that point, but um, shortly thereafter, when um, we were doing some birthing classes, we befriended this couple who was really into yoga, and she took me to this city yoga class where, um, once we had had the babies, where you could bring your kid, but it was taught by this this great teacher, Kate Frankel, who just, she, she had a baby, but like she had like this yoga body. And here I am like very overweight at the time and, and feeling kind of like after pregnant, kind of just, ugh. um, and I'm looking at her and going like, how did you just have a baby? How, how are you that together? And she was, I think she was vegetarian. I'm not sure if she's vegetarian or vegan, but there was some magical allure and her class was fun. Like it was a mommy and me yoga, but we went to the wall and we did a handstand. Nice. I was like, okay, this is like my kind of class. And I, I didn't have any reservations about kicking up into a handstand. It just felt very natural to me. Wow. And um, you had no background in gymnastics or doing that sort of thing before? No, I had a trampoline as a kid. Oh. So, so, you know, I could do flips and I, I was, you know, I would jump and lay, land into a handstand, that kind of thing as a kid. But, wow. but that was about the extent of my physical activity kind of period. Um, so I don't know. I just really loved it. And there was just this mystique to the studio. And so I started going to this class and making other friends and, um, it just caught on from there. And that's where I started because I was at home and I didn't have any help. Unless I was going to a class where you could bring your kid, I was stuck practicing on my own. And so I, you know, I, we were talking off the air about um, you know, was it the autobiography of a yogi. That was a book that, that came to me um, from my husband because we wanted to like to celebrate Easter for our um, 
the first time when we had a kid and we're not very religious. And he's like, well, why, why don't we just go here? It's like yoga and all the religions. And I'm like, okay, we'll do that. So I bought his book and read his book, which was incredible. And then I was reading like Light on Yoga from Iyengar and kind of reading about the mysticism of all the poses and like, you know, doing headstands and all this kind of crazy stuff. So that's kind of how my practice developed until my girls were old enough where I could get out of the house and take a class. Mm -hmm. And then you started taking classes and you eventually found yourself in the yoga teacher training class. Um, we, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand um, in your yoga teacher training. They didn't connect ahimsa with vegetarianism or veganism or uh, that sort of thing. The same thing happened to me in my yoga teacher training class. And I had already been vegan for years and I was, just, you know, one, I was just amazed when I saw the concept of ahimsa was a part of yoga. I was like, wow, I've never, I never heard of this before because of course I'd been doing it, doing yoga in uh, classes and studios where they didn't really get into the theory behind yoga. And so when I heard of the concept of ahimsa, I said, wow, that really just meshes so perfectly well with my personal philosophy of life of living with with kindness and respect and compassion that is what drew me to become vegan and so i was so excited that i thought all the other students in the class were going to see this connection immediately like i did and everybody <laughs> was going to go vegan we were going to have this right. wonderful kumbaya session and say how great it is that you know we, we all have this connection but instead there was a lot of uh, discussion about, well, you know, you can do a lot of things to be kind to yourself and others, and ahimsa can mean many things, and it was kind of equivocated in such a strange way, and I kept saying, what, it's so obvious, it's talking about all the choices that you make in your daily life, what's the bigger choice than what's on your plate, and if you know it causes cruelty, how can you possibly say you're living with ahimsa, which is supposed to be kindness for all, it just seems so crazy to me, so and, but you were going through the, I know your beginning transition at that point. And sometimes when you're in that be beginning transition, you can be even more dogmatic. So did you, did you have that same kind of like, whoa? Well, yeah. I mean, thank goodness for that training. Cause I think it sparked the initial seed for me to feel so um, much like an outcast that I started yoga is vegan. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really, it really did plant that seed. I think sometimes it's the opposite that, becomes the catalyst for change. And so, you know, briefly, I was not coming at it when I was in that first teacher training, I was not vegan. And in fact, I was looking at it specifically for health um, reasons. You know, we had a long, by the time I did the teacher training, I'd been practicing yoga for quite a while. And we had watched my, my father, you know, go into a coma and die of, of health, um, lifestyle related uh, issues. He had like a liver transplant and then he got cancer and, you know, he was doing all the wrong things, including what was going on into his mind. And then we watched my husband's mom die of pancreatic cancer. And that's, you know, she smoked three packs a day, ate, you know, hot dogs all the time, lots of milk, not a lot of water, not a lot of exercise. So once again, you know, there, these were two really um, rough cancers to watch. And I was having some like health issues as well after having a baby and, and well, two babies at that point. So 
I was getting high blood pressure or, you know, marks of it and started to do my own investigating. So long story short, I got into reading the China study and watching forks over knives. And so I was looking at a whole food plant-based diet specifically to try and um, kind of dampen my own DNA so I could be really, you know, a great parent that's going to be around for my kids. Mm -hmm. And my husband was on board. So it was still the like preliminary, like issue or preliminary time. So it was like 2010. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was a little confused about how to be vegan, what to eat, that kind of thing. It wasn't as, um, easy to find everything online. There were the same amount of recipes, but they were there. I just wasn't ready yet. And I think that that was just, um, when you read autobiography of a yogi, was that while you were in that yoga teacher training or was that after, because you were saying that that was something that alerted you to the fact that most yoga teachers traditionally were vegetarian. Right. Well, it was before. So I had read that a few years before. And then I still had the memory of that first, you know, true yoga teacher in the mommy and me, who I was pretty sure was vegetarian or vegan. Um, so I had that in my mind and I thought, all right, well, when I do this training, which was, you know, three months or six months, I can't remember what it was at the time, but I was going to commit to being a vegetarian. I figured that was a step I could handle for the duration of the training because I really felt like if I was going to be a yoga teacher, I have to um, embody what it means to be a yogi. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I showed up, you know, really like day one, okay, I'm vegetarian, I'm trying all this. And yeah, I was met with um, quite the opposite in the teacher training. And, and I remember, I mean, I'm not gonna rat out the teacher. On, <laughs> um, you know, over social media, but I remember her really like almost making fun of, oh, you're going to be vegetarian. Oh, that's funny. Like, <sighs> you know, giving me a hard time about it, which, you know, I think is gross. Yeah. Um, you know, inappropriate, not a place, but there were some issues with, with my first training and you know, it is what it is, but it needed to happen or I wouldn't have been where I am. Um, but there were a few vegans there who kind of showed me the way once I got in and kind of explained why vegetarian isn't very good. Um, but yeah, we were talking about Ahimsa and it was all about like, you know, I was in LA for that one. So it was like, don't, don't like flip somebody off. Don't get involved in road rage. Like that was the Ahimsa uh -huh. type of discussion mm -hmm. or, um, you know, be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was no mention of others. And even, even there was, um, I believe the teacher, she, she gave an example of Buddha mm -hmm. and why, why you don't have to be vegetarian mm -hmm. because he was being compassionate um, when he had his last meal, which I think was maybe chicken or something. I don't really know the story that well. And she was like, well, that was an act of compassion, you know, so you don't have to be vegetarian. But the irony was, I believe that he died from that meal. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How compassionate uh, is that? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, huge disconnect mm -hmm. for sure. And I think, you know, we, we have that as a society, right? Where people don't really make the connection of how their food gets on their plate and how that impacts everyone else. So I think, you know, as a vegan, for sure, when you come to a teacher training, it's, it's clear because your, your eyes and your heart and everything has been open, but that's not the case, you know, when you're still living, thinking that it's, you know, necessary and natural and nutritious and all those right. kind of, you know, types of things that we're, we're um, 
you know, taught essentially by civilization. Right. And it seems as if when there are people who have been exposed to other people being vegetarian and vegan, and yet, and they're in a realm like yoga, and they are aware, you know, like you say, she thought that was, she said, oh, that's cute. Because there's, you know, obviously quite a lot of yogis who do become vegetarian and vegan and and do believe that that's what ahimsa is. And she clearly didn't want to go there for whatever her own reasons were. As everyone says, it's, it's maybe slightly inconvenient to learn how to change your diet or you are still under the mindset that you need some sort of massive amounts of protein that only animal dead bodies can provide or some other thing was in her head that made her think that she couldn't do it. And so you know, her, you know, I find that people sometimes get more defensive when they're in that environment where they think, I know other people are looking at me and they probably think that I should be vegan or at least vegetarian, and yet I'm not doing it. So I have to make sure that I really, you know, make fun of it or, you know, downplay it somehow to take the heat off of myself, you know, because they're feeling right. awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> they're just trying to relieve their own uh, cognitive dissonance through, you know, these, these devices that humans use where we, you know, when we know something um, is right and we're not doing it, instead of just admitting it, we come up with all these other uh, ways to dance around it. And it sounds like that's what you experienced in, in my teacher training. I had two uh, instructors, one was vegan and one was not. And it was very uh, interesting even the, the one who was vegan, she was very hesitant to say, you know, but she let me talk a lot when I said, well, I see the connection here completely, you know, I am saying what it is. And, you know, this is, this is my philosophy. So I've been vegan. Of course, I was the only vegan in the whole class. This was in, uh, nine, what is it? 2006. And, um, in Hawaii and uh, there were people from all over the world there and I was I was surprised that I was only even vegetarian well, there might have been somebody who's vegetarian there but they didn't speak up like I did a voice right speaker upper in the classes and uh, and so she allowed me to speak with the other one I could tell she was just like oh goodness this, what was she with shut <laughs> because she's I could tell she was right. feeling really uncomfortable and feeling almost like attacked like I was putting her down and saying she's doing something wrong and I wasn't I was just expressing my own joy and excitement that this concept of ahimsa was part of yoga and it was a part of me also and I felt like oh what a beautiful thing I'm making this connection and the from the one teacher I got this feeling like just shut up (laughs) yeah it is it is interesting to see everybody's reaction because like my husband and I still talk about like our first vegan friend (laughs) and she had gone vegan because she had had cancer when she was really young um and we were just kind of more intrigued. Like she was coming over for dinner and I remember trying to figure out, well, what, what the heck can I make her? So I made like some terrible spaghetti, but um, you know, we weren't offended by it, which is really interesting because I wonder if when we have this discussion, like if somebody had just in a nice way kind of said, here's the deal, this is what's going on with the animals. Mm. We, you know, I don't know. I probably would have switched a little bit quicker. So it's, but that's just everybody's, you know, where, where they arrive almost karmically, I think, mm-hmm. or their personality mm-hmm. um, as far as how they can handle that or digest that information. Everybody's different. And your motivation was more compassion for animals, as was mine. Whereas I know people who say, 
I wasn't really particularly connected to animals and I was really concerned about the environment and that was my impetus. And then, like you say, that we're all the health benefits and, you know, we have a lot of stories in vegan health and fitness magazine about people who became vegan because they had a health problem or because they wanted the sports health benefits. And after they became vegan, they started discovering through being a part of the community, how much more compassionate it is for animals and the suffering that animals go through. And they started feeling quite good about the decision for that reason also. And then as their time being vegan progressed, they started saying, yeah, if I had just been doing this for health, I'd have fall, fallen off the wagon a long time ago because, you know, it's just like if you try to give up pizza or chocolate or something like that, because, you know, you find out that maybe there's something in it that's not good for you, you're still going to feel tempted to have a little bite every now and then. But if you know that eating pizza is going to cause extreme torture and cruelty and slaughter of innocent beings, you know, that brings on a whole new level. It doesn't matter how good that pizza tastes if you have right. those kind of connections to wanting a, a more kind, um, compassionate world and you, you love animals, other creatures, and then even farm workers and, you know, slaughterhouse workers and how horribly they're abused. I mean, there's so many reasons to go vegan. And so, yeah, like you say, you, you came at it from where your value was. And if somebody had just said those words to you, but then there's other people who say, yeah, people were telling me the animal rights reasons for years and it just didn't sink in. It wasn't until I found out, you know, the environmental damage or something else. Then I finally said, you know what, maybe I should think about trying this. So you never know what somebody's buttons are to push. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, so getting back to talking about um, yogis who we love. So don't please uh, <laughs> come across like I'm saying they're all bad and they don't care about uh, animals or veganism. Um, obviously, this is a concept that we're saying is very much part of, of, of yoga um, and has traditionally been a part of it, even though, yes, not every single person who has been um, a part of it, a leader, has always espoused every quality that uh, we would like. And I think that that's, that brings us into another interesting topic, which is uh, the hero worship that goes on with gurus. And I know you have an awesome teacher, Dharma Mitra, who is vegan and who required her, his students to all go vegan for six months during the teacher training that you took with him. And I think that's amazing and wonderful. But then, you know, you, you find some people just like the vegans who follow a vegan doctor that they really love or a speaker or something like that. When they put all their faith in a human being, if something comes out later and there's some kind of scandal about that person, their whole world is destroyed because they have built all of their belief systems on a human being, which is who are flawed. And you know, right. we, we talked in the magazine, this, the issue that we were in. Sean Korn talked about a very famous uh, yoga guru and uh, some unpleasant things that she went through that were sexually inappropriate right. that went on. And so that sort of thing does happen from time to time. And do you have any feelings about people putting their faith into other human beings in that way? Well, I think, I think it's, a, it's, you know, you're in a, with a great teacher when they are letting you discover that the, the truth lies within, right? Not, not within them, mm -hmm. but within yes. yourself. And 
you know, it's like, this has been the year, especially after Me Too movement, right? That so many of the greats have fallen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you want me to name names, but I'll, I'll rattle off some ones that come straight to my mind. Um, but, you know, some of the big, big, great, great, great yogis. I mean, the first to go was John Friend, of course, mm-hmm. with Anusara. Um, although he wasn't, you know, I don't think he he came under... It, it being as as bad maybe as some of the others, well, but it brought it down. Bikram. Don't forget about Bikram. That was well, but Bikram's was... allegations didn't come out till recently. Well, yeah, I, I guess I heard things, but maybe I uh, didn't. Um, there, there have been some I mean, yeah, publicly, years. like yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you've got you've got Bikram, you've got John French, you've got Patabi Joyce recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody in the I believe it was part of the. Oh gosh, I'm not going to name that one because I don't want to make sure if I'm I'm wrong. Um, But but the point is, it's like, you know, it's taking the teachings from the teacher, right? So how do how do Bikram students still teach Bikram? Well, you'll see it called like what 26 and Mm 2 now. Um, or Bikram studio becomes like a hot yoga studio. So well, they the separate thing about Bikram is that he lost the rights to his own name in the um, sexual uh, inappropriate. I, I guess I'm not sure. I don't want to say it was rape, but I know that he assaulted quite a few people and yeah, I'd... and they won the lawsuit. Anyways, the good news at the end. And so in the United States, the trademark for Bikram yoga belongs to the women who he who he harmed. So just in case anybody hears this and says, oh, I want to avoid all the Bikram studios, you're actually supporting the, the victims of, uh, of Mr. Bikram when you attend a, a Bikram yoga class in America now. So um, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's pretty cool. Yeah, because he was known. I mean, I stayed away from him after seeing the documentary Yoga Inc. Like right when I got into yoga and becoming a teacher on you know, because he was suing people at the time, studios for using his uh, sequence, mm-hmm. like it was some, you know, spectacular sequence mm-hmm. um, that that couldn't be replicated. So, you know, there were a lot of crazy things um, mm-hmm. with him, but all, a lot of these teachers, it happens. And I worry about the, the there are some students who will defend, you know, to to this day, like, oh, I thought it was okay. And maybe they need to do that to save face. Um, but I think, you know, anytime you have a teacher and you can you can learn, right? You can learn the magic of yoga and go deep into that practice and things open up for you. You can honor that teacher even, even when something bad happens. You can have reverence for the teacher, but then learn to remember that you, this guru is, is still a human. Mm-hmm who's still valuable, um, you know, and, and that what they taught still has um, beauty to it. Yeah. Or value. Mm -hmm. But, but this idea of putting everything into, into one person or worshiping someone else, I think really misses the point of yoga, which is that deep, um, you know, you're, you're cracking your own shell open. Mm -hmm. And so I think a great teacher is one that starts teaching you that and always be wary, you know, be wary of the teacher who puts you down Oh yes, or makes you feel like you're not enough. Um, you have to, it's mm-hmm. just like anything. Um, 
but be mindful of that. And sometimes you have to cut ties, just like any, you know, any relationship we have when, if something goes wrong, then you're going to have to cut ties and just, you know, hopefully remember some aspects of, of how their relationship, whether good or bad, brought you to a better place. Absolutely. Um, and so having talked about that very uncomfortable subject, moving on to yet another one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like we're, we're kind of, um, you know, we, we've talked about how yoga and veganism intersect in Ahimsa and let's let's, let's before we, we talk, I was going to talk about the emotional bypass that goes on with yogis, but maybe we can take this from a different angle a little bit and talk about how Ahimsa should direct you. I mean, first of all, let's talk about what Ahimsa is just in case our, right. our uh, listeners are not sure about that. And then talk about how this bypass that we, we talk about so often in the yoga community that happens because people go into yoga because they want to heal themselves. They want to feel better, which is a wonderful thing that happens. And we definitely want to encourage that. And we want people to heal themselves. That has to happen first. But once you've gotten to a certain point, you should be ready to, to share with others and to be opening up your ideas about compassion and uh, to, to bring it to not just always self-care, self-love, self-care to, to the point to where it seems like some people are almost coddling themselves and nursing some uh, harm hurts that they've had in the past and they're not able to move past them. Maybe the way to move past them and the way to go to the next level is to take the, to really understand the concept of Ahimsa, how it applies to helping others. And if you're doing that, then there won't be this trying to bypass anything unpleasant that you're hearing is going on in the world. Like if you're trying to tell a yogi about how animals are slaughtered and why you're vegan and they're like, Oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm in a place of bliss and peace right now and I just want to stay there. And you know, you're upsetting me, making me think about that. And, you know, so they want to bypass that emotion and they want to just ignore it. And so we're trying to encourage everyone not just yogis to not bypass the unpleasant feelings allow yourself to to understand what's happening in the world and then be a part of the solution and let your let's so let's talk about what ahimsa is and how okay. it can bring you to do those things yeah all right i mean and ahimsa is just one part as to why yoga is vegan i think but so ahimsa is mostly um is widely known i should say from the yoga sutras that's uh, patanjali's yoga sutras that were you know around 2500 years old and in that it's this little book about talks about like the eightfold path like how do you get to this place of enlightenment or liberation and there are steps and there's different steps that kind of unlock a sense essentially this this ultimate destination and part of it is the way that you deal with the world around you and how you treat yourself and that's that's in the yamas and then the yamas and the yama which is the first mes message of ethical guidelines is the very first one is called ahimsa and that means essentially to not cause harm to all sentient beings in your thoughts in your words and your actions right which is really hard to do <laughs> how many times a day mm -hmm. are we out of alignment with ahimsa but it's really you know a very um easy one to see the food connection when you start to understand how something um how an animal 
that was once living ends up on your plate. And then it's very easy with a little homework to go, okay, what, what happened there? Was that an act of kindness, right? Was the opposite of ahimsa? It's compassion, it's kindness. Was that acting in that way? And, and how am I then putting those, um, those foods and that energy into my own body, right? We are kind of what we eat. We become what we think about. We, we are reflecting what we put out comes back to us. All of these things that we learn about in yoga kind of fall under ahimsa to a certain degree. Like the way that you treat others is really going to, you know, help you experience the world a little bit differently. And so that's where the ahimsa comes from. And there's, you'll see ahimsa in other, other types of ancient texts as well, but that's the one that most yoga teachers are at least first introduced to. So if you go to a yoga class and you're not a yoga teacher, you may be hearing this for the first time because not all classes now, they've moved so, um, so much out of the spiritual and more into the athletic or workout. Not all, but there are a lot. And I think people miss the element of what yoga really is. It's not just stretching, right? It's not just exercise, but it's really ultimately a, a path for living. And we see these images on social media or in commercials or, or magazines or whatever that show this like, oh, I just want this bliss, right? I want to be in my happy place. And so if I sit here and I bring my thumb to my index fingers and I meditate, then I'm going to have this calm and peace, which which yes, that's a way to get there, but it's, it's not about, um, you know, you, you can't become a happy person by treating others horribly. Mm. It just doesn't work that way. So I think what's missing is a couple things. Um, first of all, a lot of people that practice yoga don't even understand this concept is there, right? So that's new for a lot of people. Right. Um, and then for, for teachers, you know, a 200-hour teacher training, you'll, you know, some people will start practicing and then go straight into a teacher training and start teaching. And they could be practicing yoga for six months. Mm -hmm. And then you have other people who really, you know, think about more of the spiritual angle who take their time. And, you know, they, they do a teacher training much later. So you're at an entry point for so many different people at different points in their in their yoga journey practice, right? Um, that it is easy to bypass it. It's easy to fall prey to, you know, oh, I'm supposed to be a yogi, I'm supposed to look zen and I'm supposed to be happy. And and that's the way I it's supposed to look like. So I think we are almost conditioned as a society to take on that role. And it does become kind of self-obsessed, you know, obsessed a little bit. And it is problematic, but I think the the biggest problem is that the it's not being taught. It's not being introduced into classes. You know, sometimes, sometimes you'll have that great teacher who teaches you all of these things. And sometimes you just go and you were really glad that you got a great sweat on and you were happy there were a lot of handstands. So, <laughs> you know, I, th I think Somebody it's- Somebody loves I the think handstands. It's, well, I do love the handstands, but, and that's kind of why- You do I them well. Well, thank you. Um, I compartmentalize my own practice. You know, my food is my yoga. My meditation is my yoga. Sometimes I even see the physical stuff as just, I'm just working through crap in the body right now. Yeah. Um, 
So everybody's going to have a different relationship to yoga, but I, I really think that, especially in the teacher trainings or the workshops, there is no, there is no place mm-hmm. to, to bring meat in there. Mm-hmm. There is no place to be um, unkind to other students if you're a teacher. Like there, there should be kind of uh, a little bit more of, um, you know, stricter background or almost even um, appreciation for your own craft but you want to pass that along to others. But I think it's been very distorted through modern times. And, you know, it's, it's going to be uncovered to those who actually dig a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Does that answer your question? Yes, that, that was great. Okay. Um, okay. You mentioned that Ahim says is one part of how yoga is vegan and you went into a little bit more. Um, do you, is there more that you would like to say about the uh, intersection? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the yamas, right? So it's, I hope I get them right. I'm going to feel really silly if I don't. But so you, your first one is ahimsa, right? Um, non-harm. And then it's satya, um, truthfulness. Mm. Or maybe it's a steya. But like, I think it's is it satya, ahimsa, satya. You don't have ahimsa, to say asteya. them in a I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but ahimsa, you can't be out of alignment with ahimsa, but you've got non-stealing, right? You, you right. have to be truthful. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to hoard and take everything, mm-hmm. right? And then there's this idea of like um, sexual restraint and that, mm-hmm. that, you know, back in the time it was somebody going off into the mountains, but it could just be me, you know, being like true to your partner, sure. right? It could be gurus and, behaving themselves. Yeah, but if you, exactly, if you look at just the way that food ends up on our plate, right? So, so ahimsa, right? Non-harm. Well, when you're taking the life, you're obviously harming. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're looking at, um, you know, truthfulness, like that's not, you're, you're, you're lying to yourself if you think this is wrong. If you're looking at asteya, right? Non-stealing, you're stealing the life of another being. And stealing the milk um, from a baby that's supposed to Exactly, be. brahmacharya. We're sexually raping, um, you know, the, the animals by inseminating them. We're forcing them mm. to use their body sexually and to procreate against their will. Mm. And then we have a parigraha, which is the greediness. And that's you know, hoard, what are we hoarding? Well, we're hoarding the earth's resources. Mm-hmm. So all of them are way out of alignment. But, but as you go through each one, um, you know, you, you, you can't um, be out of a, a hamsa. So it's like always like, am I in check with this idea of being, you know, right. not hurtful? Right. I think that that is such a, a beautiful way of putting it is saying that I've they're all in alignment with ahimsa. And I think that's why, you know, in Jesus's teachers teachings, he was saying, you know, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, the greatest of these is love. And then there's so many uh, instances of this coming up in so many world religions, uh, you know, Islam, uh, Buddhism, where compassion is always the highest ethic. It's the most important trait. And as Jesus said, if you keep this one commandment of to love one another, you've kept them all. And so that's why, you know, I wanted the name of the magazine to be kindness. And that's why I often say my religion is kindness. It's, it's the overarching theme. And, you know, it is very much prevalent in yoga, as you say, and it, you can see it running through you know, all these different threads um, as they're explained for proper behavior. And it's like, if you behave with kindness, you're going to kind of keep them all. Exactly. So, uh, 
I, I'm stuck on, my mind keeps going back to, this is hilarious, but the woman who who introduced you to you yoga is actually named Rainbow Mars. And I'm like, that is such a great name. I wrote it down. I was like, I'm just sad that that name is taken because I'd love to change my name to Rainbow Mars. But <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I mean, it was just a DVD. I never met her. It was super cool. Um, but anyway, on, a, on another note, um, so right now we're going through uh, COVID-19 and yep. a lot of people are stuck at home and feeling depressed, feeling, you know, a lot of people are binge eating and day drinking and finding unhealthy ways to cope with what's going on. They're separated from loved ones and, you know, just communicating via Zoom and uh, this sort of thing. And telephone can be very unsatisfying and having that lack of touch. We don't have the oxytocin being released on the same level when we're not able to shake hands and hug and do all of the things that humans have been doing for from the beginning of our existence. So suddenly we're being told we're such social creatures, you can't do all of these things. And then when you go out, you have to wear a mask where you're going to be inhaling your own carbon dioxide over and over again. It's a very stressful time for people. So yeah. to, to give people something that may help them uh, as a little gift today, let's talk a little bit about how yoga has maybe helped you through this time and anything that you can recommend to others, maybe people who aren't currently yogis and are just thinking about maybe trying it out. Maybe that's why they decided to listen to this is they wanted to, to learn more about what's, what's yoga really about? Is this something that I should try? How can this actually help them get through this difficult time? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's necessary really necessary, although it doesn't make it any easier. I think, you know, yoga gave me an arsenal of tools to have access to because I am affected just like everyone else. I have a propensity to become very anxious very quickly. And what's so beautiful about yoga, especially if you're, you are learning to do it with your breath, and I think that's something that is missed in so many of the yoga classes. Now people bypass the basics, they go straight into a, a really hard class. And that's not everybody, of course, but this idea of taking deep breaths through the nose, like just easy, easy, long inhale, easy, long exhale, trying to make them the same duration and pairing them with, you know, yoga. And I was thinking about this actually this morning, this idea of kind of you know, it's an intuitive practice if you can allow yourself to get there. And a lot of people want to just watch something or be told how to um, move. And I think once you know those basics, or even if you start to just do something as simple as like, where is my body tense and stretching it? It doesn't even matter if you know exactly what that correct yoga pose is. You could always, you know, Google it if you want to see something for inspiration or go on Instagram, right? But you can just simply stretch your body and take deep inhales and deep exhales. And that's going to help because the minute you can sink in and go in and put your phone down and take a moment to stop worrying about what happened yesterday and what's to come and slowing the breath and getting into the muscles, that's going to help release the stress that is building up every single day. And I feel like 
you know, I feel bad for people who don't have a yoga practice right now because it's, it's really, really helped. And it's, you know, I find my, my own practice is very weird at the moment. You know, usually I, I do like a lot of handstands, but I've been working, I've been hiking so much and running because I felt like I just have to get this energy out. And then my yoga practice could look like, you know, an hour of stretching. And then I'll spend, you know, whatever, 40 minutes just on arm, arms, handstands and arm balances just to keep up because I enjoy the upper body stuff. But, you know, just beginning to stretch or maybe even picking up, you know, an older book, something like Light on Yoga, which is really funny because you can look at this book and you, you see all these poses and, and some of these wild claims about, you know, diseases that can be, uh, um, you know, cured through like putting your foot behind your head. And some of that is, is a little interesting in the folklore, but there's a lot of great information there. And I especially think like learning to do the breathing practices, you know, COVID, COVID-19, that's going to attack your lungs. So the more that we can stretch the lungs and have them capable of deeper breathing, and that's one of the practices of yoga. So a couple of things I teach my students, easy for anybody listening, you could do something called um, calming breathing. And you inhale, just take a deep inhale through your nose for a beat of four, usually your own heartbeat. Or okay, let's do it. Four. I'm going to do it. All right. Okay. All right. So, all right, we're all going to take a deep exhale for a minute. So we're on the same. So exhale. Good, through the nose, inhale, one, two, three, four, hold. Exhale slow, one, two, three, four. In, one, two, three, four, pause. Exhale, one, two, three, four. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four. So that's called calming breathing. That was awesome. It just slows it down. I mean, it's easy and you could do it anywhere. And when you have, um, you know, a lot of people have trouble taking long breaths. As yogis, I think we forget the ability we have to thread the breath. But somebody who's newer might go, <clears throat> you know, and, and get stuck right in their upper chest so quickly. So you could, you know, tricks, you can count real quickly if that's what you have to do. But it's just, you know, you go for a duration, then half that duration, you pause, and then you go down for the same duration. duration. And eventually that would lengthen to a count of eight, a hold for four, and an exhale count of eight. But it's an easy way to I mean, there's nothing complicated. You don't have to, a lot of, a lot of the pranayama, you've got your fingers next to your nose, which, you know, unless your hands are clean, especially now you don't want to do that. Um, but this is a really nice way to just calm the nervous system down. Right. And it brings us to um, something that I, else that I wanted to make sure that we talked about today, I almost forgot, which is about what yoga is really about. A lot of people don't realize that when you look at the ancient yoga texts where they describe asana, they don't go into as much detail as some people have built on it. For instance, um, Iyengar is very well known for alignment and paying attention to that your foot is turned exactly the right way this way and that everything is very precise. But the, the ancient yoga 
texts are very general and vague when they describe you know bending forward and you know they're they're more they're more concerned in those texts about that your movements follow your breath and the reason why is because yoga asana was created for the purpose of helping with meditation it was because people were sitting in meditation for really long periods of time and they needed to do something to work out an attention in their body after sitting still for so long or before sitting still for so long and it also helps to calm the mind and like you're saying you all of a sudden become focused on the body and getting more into the body and you can maybe let go of some of that chattering that's going on in your mind yoga can be very helpful for that so that's why it's really great at stress relieving and so if you think of yoga as not something that is about being super limber i know there are a lot of people who are attracted to yoga who have a background in gymnastics who have are just naturally very limber and they're attracted to doing the poses because the poses are beautiful and they're, they can be fun when you practice them a lot and you get good at them. Even in the beginning, they're fun. You're, you're, you're supposed to be approaching yoga, as they say, with a child's mind. So you're never supposed to go in with a big ego and arrogance and thinking, oh, look how cool I am. I can do all these, which, which happens a lot in yoga because people have missed the spiritual aspect of it and what it's really supposed to be about. But if you really knew what yoga was about, if you were a beginner, you wouldn't be intimidated by going into a yoga class or, or undertaking doing some yoga at home because you would understand that it's just like that beautiful pranayama breathing that you just led us through. That's what yoga is all about. It's about getting us in touch with our breath, helping us calm down, helping us relax, helping us get the mind under control, helping us connect with the body, yes, but it's all for the purpose of something larger than just doing a pretty pose. That's a part of it, but it's, that is not the end game. Right. Well, I mean, the end game can be so heady, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it really is. Why are we doing, I mean, something I want to touch upon with the poses is, is it is unlocking certain energetic ch channels. Mm -hmm. So there are some points to the poses, although, you know, yoga can get very, uh, you know, it's not always uh, the traditional poses. It can mm -hmm. get very free form or um, unbalanced, right. you know, an unbalanced teaching class. But ultimately, what are we trying to realize? That we are part of source. Mm -hmm. We are that of the same, you know, ultimate energy of creation. We are a, um, what is the word? Like we're, we're living a spiritual life through our human experience, mm -hmm. but it is that divine creation or that universal creation. Some people use the word God that doesn't work for me um, or self with a capital S but it's this idea of of that ultimate energy of 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 life and divine love that we all have that within us so we're connecting to that we're getting out of this illusion that that we are separate from and we're returning almost home to this place of of all accepting love right that's that's kind of the point right then that, and that's so far beyond practices of just bending yourself into a pretzel. Okay, I'm done. Now I go home and, and that's over. It, it's, it's actually done something to you inside more so than even on the outside.
Yeah, and I think that's why sometimes people will take a yoga class and they'll love it and they, they won't understand why. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel this way? It's a mm-hmm. little bit different. Oh, I know. I burst um, into tears on my mat when I was in law school and I was like, what is this? And then, but like you say, you hold energy in your body and when you do these poses, it releases them. Finally, you're free. Right, and it's a continual practice. You know, I don't want anybody thinking I'm sitting here cross-legged, you know, with this divine, um, you know, ultimate enlightenment, twenty four seven, you you hear of yogis getting glimpses, right? You have those moments in meditation where it just, for a moment, you can kind of feel you feel at peace. You feel like there's nothing. There's no head talk around you. There's there's different experiences of it, and there's different modalities within yoga to get there. But ultimately, you know, when we can look at our pets, at our friends, at, you know, people we even don't like and to go, okay, that is a human experiencing, you know, some of this, this conflict that it is to be human and to try and dissolve that and act in a way of at least compassion and away from the non-harm, then we're going to get closer to achieving that that place of peace, you know, that we all really want to get to. Beautiful. That's a great way to end our beautiful conversation today. Thank you so much. And before we go, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you? I know you have the podcast, Yoga is Vegan. You mentioned your website. Are you teaching yoga virtually right now? You know, I, yes and no. And keep, keep, looking on the website. So everything's under the same handle at yoga is vegan or yoga is vegan.com. Um, I've been doing workshops where I pair the food elements with the spiritual element. So the last time I did that, I teamed up with, um, Oh, I think you know her, um, Anna Ferguson. I think oh, she yeah. was featured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So world peace yoga. So I teamed up with her and we put something together on, um, kind of converging on these two elements. Uh, So I teach that way. It's summer now. So I've been doing some of my own classes, but that's on my own personal website, not run through yoga is vegan, just under my name, um, hollyscotus.com when I do them. But as of right now, I've kind of sort of put it on hold and then I'm back teaching at a a studio. Um, I teach for them virtually and, you know, they have, they've, we're, we're in Connecticut, so they've opened doors, although it's very small, like maybe one or two people. So, you know, those are very different classes because those, that studio has a different relationship to what the people want from yoga. So you sprinkle it in a little, you do it through music, you do it through, mm. through that kind of thing. But I would say just check yoga is vegan for the next time I roll out with um, something. And every once in a while I'll pop up on, on, yeah, I put it mostly on my personal when I'm going to teach like a, you know, a virtual class. Okay, great. Well, we will keep our eyes tuned for that. Thanks again very much for being my guest today and for all of the wonderful things you shared about how yoga is vegan. Uh, thank you so much, Brenda. Okay.